The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today is Monday, November 20th. My name is Chris Crawford. I am joined by my good friend, Drew Silva. We're going to be taking a look at some headlines. There were some transactions, one that happened literally just before we were about to start recording, but we're also going to be taking a look at some hitters who broke out in 2023, what we kind of think about them for 2024, if there is a good chance for them to continue the rise, or maybe if we're a little bit skeptical. But let's start with the big news that happened over the weekend, and that is Drew Aaron Nola signing a seven-year, $172 million contract. You know, I don't know if the postseason completely cemented what Nola got. I think it was more based on what he did in his previous time. It certainly didn't help, and there were lots of reports that Aaron Nola got offered more money than this. I'm a little surprised that this happened as quickly as it did, Drew. I did predict that there would be a pitcher that signed quickly when we were doing our podcast. I thought it would be with the Cardinals, to be fair, but not surprised that Aaron Nola is coming back to Philadelphia Maybe a little surprised that the AAV is this, though. Well, this, I mean, the story was that he was looking for $200 million. That's what kind of leaked at the start of the offseason. Mm-hmm. And even going back to when he had some extension talks with the Phillies in the spring that largely went nowhere because he had such a high asking price. Sure. Um, I get the vibe he just wanted to stay in Philadelphia. And it's not right. like they they got a real team-friendly deal here. That's a lot of money for a pitcher who how old is Nolan now is he 30 yeah 30 30 years and 169 days um yeah I mean the the postseason certainly helped had a pretty well I don't know should we call it a mediocre regular season like the ERA was what 4.46 but yeah is is ERA the, the best way to evaluate a pitcher probably not um his command was as good as it's it's been uh, not as, as quite as good as it was the previous year in 2022, but the strikeouts, the workload, he's like, I mean, one of the game's premier workhorses. I, I think he leads all major league pitchers or he's, he's like second in innings pitched. Um, he's faced the, a lineup three times, you know, like turned the lineup over three times more than anyone, like doubled um, what, what any other major league starter has done. So the Phillies trust him to work deep in games. That's what you like from a fantasy ace. And is, is he an ace? Maybe not, but he's like a, he's like a top tier fantasy starter because of the workload, because of the strikeouts. And I, I think he'll, he'll continue to be that. I mean, there's a lot of tread on those tires at this point, but he's shown no signs of, of, you know, of fading at all. And in fact, he gets better as the season goes along. And that's what you want out of a guy that you're going to commit a seven year, $172 million contract first. Year. I'm not surprised that he was the first pitcher to sign. I'm surprised it came so quickly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I think it's an indication that he wanted to stay with the Phillies. Um, I bet he got better offers elsewhere, but they met the number that he felt comfortable with and that they felt comfortable with. And so it gets done on November. What was that? 18th when it got, when it got signed or 19th. Would you have wanted him to land? Obviously let's take out the Cardinal fan portion of it. Would you have liked him as from a fantasy perspective to maybe land with a different team because I do think the one thing about Aaron Nola is becoming a little more homer prone especially as of late he gave up 32 last year and you know 4.46 ERA his 4.03 FIP and yes FIP is a flawed stat as well still suggests that there were some issues for Nola last yeah. year maybe not the best pitching park for his arsenal when he's making home starts 
Do you think his fantasy upside would have gone up if say he did? Well, I think obviously if he signs with Atlanta, the fantasy stock is up just because I think Atlanta is the best team and best lineup in baseball. Not that Philadelphia stinks by any stretch of the imagination, but I do kind of wonder what it would be. We'd be talking about if Nola was signing with St. Louis or Atlanta. Do you think his fantasy stock took a hit? Same. What What do you think from that point of view? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of fly balls this past year, a lot of hard contact, which is going to lead to a lot of home runs and some blow-up starts that elevate your ERA. <clears throat> I like that the Phillies are so comfortable letting him, him pitch deep into games. We just don't see that um, very much in modern baseball. So I, I like the fit. I think it's fine. I think there's a trade-off there with that he might have a little bit more of an elevated ERA, but everything else checks out for him to be a pretty reliable fantasy starter and you know at the peak he is a legitimate ace like he's shown flashes of that especially during these last two postseason runs um so I, I like the fit in general there's a comfort level there the way they use him I think it all rounds into form of, of being a really good spot for him fantasy wise yeah I think that's fair to say as well uh right before we were about to start recording speaking of Atlanta Reynaldo Lopez signs a three-year 30 million dollar contract with Atlanta Bunch of people uh, reporting it right after Atlanta makes the announcement. Nobody scoops Atlanta, Drew. It's so amazing. The Atla- Atlanta, announces, yeah. Atlanta announces their transactions before everybody, unless it's a trade with somebody else where somebody else is not on the ball. That's the only time you don't uh, see that happen. But Lopez, who you do not remember, finished the season with the Cleveland Guardians. Don't lie to me. You do not remember that he played for that team. 68 appearances, a 3.27 ERA. 83 strikeouts in 66 innings, does have the 34 walks. Control has always been Lopez's issue. Like, the stuff has always been sick. Uh, Even when he was a starting pitcher, like, you saw the stuff that suggested that he could be, like, a top-of-the-rotation guy in terms of just pure arsenal, but he just doesn't throw enough strikes to ever be that guy. I do like this Atlanta fit, though, and that Atlanta bullpen, Drew, that's a loaded group right now. Like this is our, our buddy uh, John Becker pointed out that they probably have their bullpen like figured out right now. Now they could be making some transactions and we'll talk about another trade that they did make. But this is a pretty nifty landing spot for Lopez, I think. Right. I mean, yeah, Atlanta had already re-signed uh, Pierce Johnson and Joe Jimenez. Uh, mm-hmm. They traded for Aaron Bummer. That was an aggressive move, but they really liked yeah. his stuff. Speaking of uh, not using ERA to evaluate a pitcher, um, yeah, Bummer's ERA does not tell the story of how dominant no. he can he can be when he's really got it. And then, yeah, you know, an aggressive move here, three years, $30 million this early in the offseason for a reliever. But the relief market is is pretty yeah. rough. Like, there are a lot of names out there, not a lot of names that I would be really attracted to beyond Josh Hader, obviously, who's probably going to make over $100 million and, and break the, the record for a relief pitchers in, in free agency, the contract that he gets. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Atlanta is just a, a really well-run organization. Um, they wanted to shore up their bullpen. They got it done early, and and I it wouldn't surprise me if if they're in the market for one of these top starters, like a, a Sonny Gray has been talked about. Do they go Blake Snelling? I don't know. That'd be pretty aggressive. But with with those contracts, that always yeah, it's a very tight lipped front office. You don't hear about them until they post that team announcement on on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days. They have the money to like do an, an aggressive spend on a starting pitcher, and it wouldn't shock me if that happens. Like. I'm, Lopez like had a, a stretch where he was serving as the closer at times with the White Sox. Um, yeah, then jumps to the Angels. And you're right, I do not actually really remember him finishing the season <laughs> with the Guardians. But um, he was, you know, really good in all all three spots. Got better as the year went along. Mm-hmm. He reigned in his command in 2022, which. You know, he took such a big step forward with that that I was excited about him possibly getting that White Sox closer job. Like, I remember this was a conversation last spring, like who's going to be the White Sox closer while Liam Hendricks works back from his cancer diagnosis. And it looked like it might be Lopez at a camp. He wasn't necessarily terrific in that role, um, but overall, like a really solid, another setup man to put into an Atlanta bullpen that has a lot of really reliable setup, man. I I, I mean, that's, they're going to, they're going to win the NL East again next year. You know, the the Phillies are dangerous. The Mets are in panic mode. They're probably going to make some splashes, but Atlanta just looks so good. And it's nice to be like, to be able to have like all your stuff taken care of before the end of November. And, and again, they might make a splash for a starting pitcher, but overall, they could roll that team out right now and, and feel pretty good about their chances in the division and in the whole yeah. league. 
Absolutely. Yeah, they've, they've got everything set up to be a contender for a long time. And I think one of the reasons, too, I think they're going to be aggressive on the starting pitching market, and maybe a deal like this happens anyway, is the trade of Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright and Nick Anderson are traded to Kansas City, which I can't say I necessarily predicted. Although we did talk about Kansas City being the type of team to go after a buy low starting candidate. Yep. And I think we're talking about buy low with Kyle Wright here based on his numbers in 2023. Now, of course, it was a shortened season. Uh, nine appearances, seven of those starts, a 6.97 ERA, 34 strikeouts, and 17 walks. Drew, in 2022, this was a guy who went 21-5. and five. I know, win-loss record, but it's still pretty darn Thanks. impressive. A 3.19 ERA, 174 strikeouts in 180 innings against 53 walks, an FIP of 3.58 that suggested there was a little bit of good luck, but not a ton. Kyle Wright looked like a legitimate pitching star at times in 2022. I think this is kind of a fascinating trade, Drew. Yeah, I mean, he's coming off that that surgery for a, what is it, a torn capsule um, right. in his right throwing shoulder. And, and you worry about shoulder injuries and, you know, it can, it can really derail a guy's career. But this is the kind of move that the Royals should be making, like grabbing some reclamation projects. And, you know, maybe it works out. Maybe he turns back into the, the pitcher that he was in 2022. He's only 28 years old. You know, Jackson Kowar is a guy that's you know had some prospect hype in the past, but he's just been pretty dreadful at the major league level. So I, I think it's a, a nice, like, change of scenery type of trade where the Royals find themselves with the starter with bigger upside than the one they gave away. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope it works out for them. I hope he can get his career back on track. We'll see where he is going into the spring of next year, when it when it's going to look like he's going to be able to get back on a mound. But where the Royals are right now as an organization, I think this kind of trade makes a lot of sense. They should bring in anyone that has like a, a current injury, but has flashed stuff in the past, especially on the starting pitching side. They need all the other pitching help that they can get. And, you know, maybe he can, he can form into being a reliable member of their rotation long-term. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no harm, no foul here at this point. Kowar is not going to be uh, somebody that I think it's a reclamation project for him in Atlanta them too. too. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. absolutely. And look, this was, it's interesting. It's a couple of, uh, SEC guys going for each other that were uh, not quite in the same draft, I think, but not too far apart from each other. Yeah, um, yeah what's the risk here? There, there's very little, and, and if you do get even a semblance of the 2021 version of Kyle Wright, you're going to be, or excuse me, the 2022 version of Kyle Wright. Yeah. Uh, years are hard to come by at this point, Drew. Uh, I, I do think it's a nice little pickup for Kansas City you got to probably take a wait and see approach from fantasy, like see what this guy's going to be doing, that type of thing. I'd, I'd rather wait and be too late. This is not a FOMO situation for me, to be honest. No, there no, just have not been enough success for me to be too excited about Kyle, Wright. Um, Luis Urias also traded. This was an interesting one for me as a Seattle Mariner fan. I can't, I expected them to add somebody along these lines. What I think it's more interesting about is, what does this say about Eugenio Suarez? Because there have been a lot of trade rumors with Eugenio Suarez. The Mariners very much want to be a lefty-righty platoon type of team. And the one thing Arias has done throughout his career is he has mashed left-handed pitching. He was terrible last year for Milwaukee and Boston. But just a couple of years ago, this was a guy coming off back-to-back three-win seasons. It's also a fascinating profile because, Drew, you can remember, I'm sure, when Arias was coming up, this was a guy who showed like an 80-grade hit tool. Like it was constantly yep. hitting 330, making tons of contact to every part of the field. Not a lot of it hard, but a lot of contact. Well, now he's a three-true outcome player. Like it just – you don't see that happen very often for a player too. It's not like it's an old guy. He's still only 26 years old. I think Arias, if he gets an everyday role, maybe he could be kind of interesting because of the power – but I kind of imagine he's only going to be a guy who's playing against left-handers. Yeah, and he he arrived in the majors very young, like just after yeah. his 21st birthday is when he debuted with the Padres. And there have been some injuries and stops and starts uh, to, to the part of 
you know, the early part of his young career, but like you said, only 26 years old, he had that mini breakout with the Brewers in 2021, where I thought, okay, mm-hmm. like now he's ready to, to become a real player, like a legitimate sure. everyday player, perhaps even a star. Um, then there were some injuries and inconsistencies in 2022, uh, started off this year with an injury gets, gets moved out of, out of Milwaukee goes to Boston and, you know, is, is effective against, you know, left-handed pitching, um, I agree. I think this is this is gonna just gonna be a platoon situation. And I don't really see any like draft day fantasy consideration. It wouldn't like shock me if he gets it going though and, and yeah. becomes like a guy that it is usable and does and does see, you know, starts against righties too. Like yeah. it, it I mean there there's the door is open there for him to to take over or at least like to grab a huge a, a significant chunk of like the starting second base job in Seattle or even like move in at third base. Um yeah. I mean, it, it's it's like there's an avenue for that to happen. I wouldn't expect it like on draft. I, I bet he he goes undrafted in most standard leagues and even AL only formats. Yeah, I think so as well. I think it's a guy to maybe take a look at in dynasty type of leagues, just because the youth, the situation that they have in Seattle, and especially if Eugenio Suarez is traded. There's been a lot of smoke. There's been a lot of talk about Toronto being interested in Suarez if they're not able to re-sign Matt Chapman I think that's actually a pretty nice little fit if that was to happen Um, and it makes sense for Seattle too if they are you know going to operate in terms of wanting more contact which they one of the reasons why they didn't offer it to Oscar Hernandez the qualifying offer is because uh, Pobo DePoto said that he did not uh, love the fact that they just didn't make a lot of contact last year and Eugenio Suarez swings and misses with the best of them so they would not shock me at all if that was a trade situation and if Arias gets a chance to play every day there's at least some interest in being a guy who can draw a decent amount of walks uh speaking of did you the say team hobo user, did you say hobo de poto is that a hobo hobo de poto president hobo. of baseball hobo de <laughs> i thought you called him a hobo <laughs> oh no i would never ever ever call my good sweet, sweet gerard de poto a uh a, oh man the mariners are already mad enough at me drew what are you doing um Speaking of the team that Arias used to play for, the Milwaukee Brewers, I thought it was a pretty nondescript um, in terms of the players that we saw not get tendered uh, contracts, but Brandon Woodruff obviously being the big name. And I can't say I'm too surprised uh, based on the fact that he isn't likely to pitch at all in 2024. If he does, it's going to be a very small amount. But Drew, it's, it's, it's at least interesting because we're talking about one of the best pitchers in baseball. And his 11 starts last year, a 2.2 ADRA. 74 to 15 strikeout to walk ratio. And we have seen him at times be not just a good fantasy starter, a great fantasy starter. I'm going to be really curious to see what the market here is, especially knowing that you're not going to get a whole heck of a lot out of him in 2024. But having him under contract so that I can have him in 2025 would be awfully appealing for me if I'm any general manager. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the Kyle Wright situation. They both had capsule shoulder surgeries and probably won't pitch much next year. But, yeah, this is a true ace when he's at full health. I think it probably, you know, it would have made made sense, I guess, for the Brewers to try to sign him to an extension. But mm-hmm. does it make sense for Woodruff to do that? Like, he's going right. to be selling low on himself. I think he'd feel comfortable – you know, maybe sign in a one-year deal with an option and, like, see where his health is going into 2025. And mm-hmm. he can decline the option if he feels like he's going to be able to get back to what he was at his, you know, when he was at his best years with the Brewers. So probably just for, for both sides, it made sense to kind of part ways. And, and it wouldn't shock me if they worked something out um, on the open market. Like, if, if he winds up just staying with the Brewers uh, in, in some, some kind of reworked deal. he's This is not the time for him to to want to sign a long-term deal, even if like a team were to offer it to him, um, depending on the figure, the, the number that that would be, of course. Um, but yeah, the, the Brewers, we knew they were probably going to cut some salary. Maybe this helps them, you know, shy away from trading Corbin Burns. Those rumors have been pretty prevalent um, sure. you know, since 
the beginning of November, even dating back to like the trade deadline, do they deal one of their starting pitchers? Um, so I don't know. Hopefully this means that they can keep Corbin Burns and Woodruff was projected to make about $11.6 million through arbitration this winter. And the Brewers couldn't justify paying that just so a guy can rehab. So I get it all around. And, and I agree. I, I mean, there were a lot of non-tender moves, but none of them really surprised me. I think everyone kind of knew that the Brandon Woodruff one was coming like Dakota Hudson, the Cardinals, you could see that coming. I, I thought they might non-tender Tyler O'Neill, but I guess they're mm. going to try to trade him. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there were, there were a lot of moves, but I don't think there were any shocking moves. No. And nothing that's really all that fantasy relevant, to be honest with you yeah. either. Like there's, there's just, you know, teams <clears throat> operate with their budgets and stuff like that, but the decent players are going to get deals. There's just an exception with Woodruff because, I, I want. I think a lot of teams might have DFA'd or Woodruff or non-tendered him in this situation. To be honest with you, knowing yes. he wouldn't have played, maybe like a team like the Dodgers would be like, "Ah, eh, we could afford this" or something like that. But Milwaukee is certainly not going to be a team that operates in that regard. If they couldn't get an extension done with him, they were not going to pay somebody eight figures to play for someone else. Uh, real quick before we get into the second half of the show, uh, Kevin Kent Rosenthal. Have you heard of him, Drew? Uh, he just no. posted uh, that. He just posted that Yoshinobu Yamamoto has been posted and major league clubs have been notified. Um, the window begins at 8 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. That's Tuesday. Uh, clubs have uh, until no later than 5 p.m. Eastern time on January 4th, 2024 to submit terms. I don't think it's going to take that long. In fact, I don't think it's going to take very long at all. I don't think it's going to be quite as fast as we saw with Yoshida and the Red Sox last year. Uh, that was like investigation fast to be honest yeah. with you and i'm surprised we didn't hear more stuff about it to be honest but i'm going to be really curious to see how this market develops because this is a special starting pitcher like this is maybe not like the ace of aces but this is the guy that pitches at a top of the rotation type of thing i am really excited to see what he can do the dodgers are the team that makes the most sense to me but i do think that the market is going to develop very very quickly for yamamoto it's nice that the the market was kind of set already by Aaron yeah. Nola. Seven years, 172 million for a 30 year old. Yamamoto's 25. You know, yeah. he's going to get 200 million, right? Yeah. I think yeah. so. I mean, yeah. it's it's scary to give like a nine or ten year contract to a starting pitcher, but with his age, like it's just so rare that a, a team is able to to sign a starter that young in free agency mm -hmm. and with so many teams needing starters from the very best contenders to you know teams that want to move from rebuild mode into contention um he's going to be a very rich man when all is said and done I, I do think this moves quickly because teams have known that he was going to be posted like this isn't some surprise news that happened on monday um and uh, he can do his team visits and, and narrow down the the list we kind of know how it goes kind of saw how it went with Shohei otani who by mm -hmm. the way has started to make team visits as well um sure. there, there was a, a jeff passon of espn is hearing that that could be wrapped up by the by the time the winter meetings begin, which is on December fourth. That'd be awesome. I mean, just for like us and what we do, like yeah, yeah, to be able to like kick it into gear for fantasy and analysis, and it just frees up the landscape for other hitters and pitchers that need to find new homes and for teams to know what they can spend on on the free agent market and the trade market. Drew, your Cardinals just did something. Are you excited? Yamamoto, no. Oh. Lance Lynn and the St. Louis Cardinals are on agreement on a one-year contract with a club option that guarantees around $10 million, according to Jeff Passan. How excited are you? Oh. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, Drew has his hand <laughs> over his eye. He has a big smile I, on his face. I, lo I love Lance Lynn. Um, I know you do. But for the Cardinals to come out and say they need three starters, which they do, maybe even mm -hmm. four of them, and for this to be one of them, I mean, hey, he had a lot of success at Bush Stadium. It fits what he does. It's one of the most pitcher-friendly parks in baseball. But, man, he just got rocked, like, throughout yeah. the year in 2023. I, I kind of think it's it's over for him. Um, whatever. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look. There were some flashes of brilliance there for the Dodgers after the trade for Lynn, and it was just so short. Like, there was, like, five really good starts and everything in between. And, no, he was not as bad 
as the 5.73 ERA that I think he put up. How many home but, runs did he give up? Uh, he ended up allowing 44, 44 <laughs> in his 183 and two-thirds innings. Wow. Did strike out 191 in that time. And look, FIP of 5.53. I talked a lot about FIP today. I don't usually love to say, cite that stat as often as I do, but um, it does tell you that Lance Lynn was not terribly effective. I think you are avoiding him in fantasy, but it, it's not because of the Cardinals thing. Is you're avoiding him because he is a older pitcher who has a lot of mileage on him, who has digressed over the last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, good for Lance Lynn though. It's nice to see a nice little reunion of former uh, former Cardinal coming back. I, I'm sorry that you got your hopes up with Yamamoto, and then you've got I, to find out that you. <laughs> if they legitimately get three starters, and he's the third worst one they get. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely, an innings eater type of dude who can yeah. pitch every, you know, probably your third or fourth starter to open the year. Hopefully your fourth, closer to that than your third. Nothing wrong with that. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to look at some breakout hitters from 2023 and kind of whether or not we believe that they can keep it going in 2024. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's take a look at those hitters. And look, it happens every year. There are guys that we do not see coming. We don't see them making a big impact that end up having big seasons. And there were quite a few of them this year. I got to be honest, I was. it was hard for me. Drew and I are both going to talk about five. It was kind of hard for me to limit them to five. Drew put his list up first. I actually appreciate him leaving some of the names that he did leave to me for yeah. the list. There were a lot gentleman. to choose from. There were a lot to choose from. Um, Drew, why don't you start with Bryson Stott, though, just because I think he was one of the first names that I thought of as well. I mean, certainly had some prospect pedigree, but not exactly a fantasy stalwart in 2022, but was pretty darn solid in 2023. Yeah, he, he showed some promising flashes as a rookie in 2022 and, and in the minor leagues, but not like mm -hmm. not to the level where he was a coveted fantasy option last spring his average draft position was in the 300s most places uh, but then he got off to a great start in 2023 jumped into the leadoff spot for the Phillies by mid-April and that lasted until basically like I think it was actually June 1st where they installed Kyle Schwarber back in that leadoff role Stott mostly hit fifth or sixth the rest of the way but it's not like he totally 
cratered, you know, finished with a 747 OPS, 15 home runs, 31 stolen bases, 62 RBIs, and 78 runs scored in 151 regular season games. Hit a big homer in the wild card series round against the Marlins, then kind of went quiet in, in the NLDS and the NLCS mm-hmm. as the Phillies ultimately lost to the Diamondbacks. But still, overall, a huge step forward for Stott. Uh, who just turned 26 years old last month. His defensive ratings are spectacular, which you know mm-hmm. gives him staying power. His sprint speed last year ranked in the 88th percentile. Uh, so there, there should be a good floor in fantasy with what he can do in, in terms of stolen bases. Um, he doesn't strike out very often. His, his strikeout percentage was 21st among all, all qualified major league hitters this past year, just behind Mookie Betts, just ahead of Cody Bellinger. I'd, I'd like to see Stott draw more walks and hit for more power, of course. like The exit velocity readings aren't going to blow you away at the moment. But that could be the next step um, if he's truly going to become like a legitimate star, at least a fantasy star, you know, up the OBP for us, get more steals even, um, and, and you know, find something a bit more in, in the way of slugging, at least like making that a consistent part of his game. At the position that he plays, you know, second base can be shallow, probably will be shallow again in 2024. Like Stott injects some new life with, again, like a safe floor of steals and a secure role on a good Phillies team. I think he probably will hit fifth or sixth again next year with hopefully some, some power to come. Um, the, the early ADP data at NFBC, and this is November 20th. So it's kind of silly to be looking at ADP, but drafts are going on. People that are very serious about fantasy baseball will sometimes draft in November, or at least you get mock draft, uh, data from that. He's going 107th overall for 2024. That seems like early for me, but I don't know, 31 stolen bases with the potential that he could actually steal more if he were to get on base at a better clip. I don't know that he's going to like all of a sudden become a 20 homer guy. Um, but I, I just like that he plays every day in a good lineup and and will give you steals. The defense helps him be secured in everyday role. Um, I, I think he's a really good real life player and, you know, no one really expected him to be so valuable in fantasy last year. Um, I, that 107th overall kind of kind of scares me but i wouldn't be surprised if if he's just as good next year if not takes another step forward yeah i think that's certainly possible i mean the version you have right now is pretty darn good i think and i think that's a reasonable floor for stott but i do think that there is a chance that he takes that next step and i i think you have to give the phillies a little bit of a benefit of a doubt type of thing here they've done a really nice job with player development i think you know, not a lot of ton- you look at their like lineup and most of these guys are um, guys that they've acquired other otherwise. But I think they've done a nice job of making having players take that next step. JT Real Muto, um, uh, Kyle Schwarber, I think, has taken another step forward with these guys. I think that Stott can definitely be that guy. That ADP does scare me. That, that's a top 100 ish player is is asking, I think, a little bit too much in my humble estimation but it wouldn't shock me at all if he returned value at that pot either uh speaking of returning value i talked to a lot of people who won fantasy leagues and this guy was on their roster an awful lot and that's nolan jones i don't think people talked nearly enough about what nolan jones did in 2023 this was a guy who posted a 931 ops a 389 on base percentage 542 slugging percentage was a 2020 player which i have to be honest as a guy who has followed nolan jones for a very long time one of my top 10 prospects in that draft and i was not looking like a very smart guy for a while there with nolan jones to be honest a lot of walks but i think he figured out the assertiveness thing that look 126 strikeouts in 103 games, a little too many. But 53 walks, that's a very solid number. And I think what you're kind of wondering is if you aren't paying close attention, well, how did he do away from Coors Field, right? right. He was better he away from Coors Field. Yeah. 288, 385, 54, 10 homers. Now look, higher average at home of 306 and a higher on base percentage, but didn't show as much power at Coors Field in his 106 games. He actually showed, he hit 10 homers in 52 games uh, at Coors Field. He hit 10 homers in 54 games, but he also hit 15 doubles away from Coors Field. Then the next thing you're going to say is, well, how did he do against left-handed pitching? Is he that guy who just mashes right-handers and can't hit lefties? On the contrary, against lefties last year, 314, 377, 525, 
Listen to what he did against left-handed starters last year, Drew. 121 plate appearances, 337, 438, 713. Now, a batting average of balls in play of 387, which is incredibly high. His batting average uh, balls in play, it's 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 probably unsustainable. I don't think that Nolan Jones could hit for quite as high of average as he does. But you take a look at the advanced metrics. His barrel percentage was in the 94th. His expected Woba was in the 84th. Expected slugging in the 87th. And above average in hard hit percentage in sweet spot. Strikes out a lot. Misses a lot, a lot as well. Um, walk percentage in the 88th is terrific. He's also a guy who can play all over the field. I'm really curious where Jones is going in drafts because like you look at what he did in his rookie season and the fact that he does get to play 81 games in a very friendly ballpark. I guess my only concern is going to be how many guys he's going to drive in because the Colorado lineup still stinks on ice outside of him. But Nolan Jones has a chance to be a fantasy superstar, Drew. And I, I looked up his NFC ADP. Do do you want to guess? It's he's fifty sixth overall. Fifty sixth. I was going to guess seventy fifth and was feeling stupid. Fifty sixth. Oh my goodness yeah, gracious! I get hey, it man. though. I totally yeah. get it. He didn't come up until late May of last year. So to put up twenty home runs and twenty steals, that's like a thirty five homer, thirty five steal pace. Yeah. He's got to regress a little bit, but. Yeah, I think he's he's a heck of a player. He's got a rocket for a, a, a right arm. Does he throw righty or lefty? Uh, whatever. Right. He's got a yeah. He's a righty. Um, he's got a rocket arm. Like I think he's just a really good, well-rounded player. And yeah, I mean, I, the first thing you think of with a guy like this is oh, it's all course field effect. But he was awesome away um, yeah. from course field, and and so I, I don't know. Like there's not many like holes to punch in into what he does, other than he, there's some swing and miss. But there's plenty of swing and miss within the top 100 hitters in fantasy. You know, sure. Um, my second guy is going to be raised third baseman Isaac Paredes, um, another player who went undrafted in most standard leagues leading into the 2023 season. Average draft position above 300, uh, but quickly turned into a waiver wire gem. He put up an overall 840 OPS with 31 home runs, 24 doubles, 98 RBIs, and 71 runs scored in 143 games for Tampa Bay, helping that team get off to that historically good start and to you know stay in the battle for the AL East title all year. The division title ultimately went to the Orioles and the, and the Rays were quickly bounced by the eventual World Series champion Rangers in the wildcard series, uh, that two-game sweep by Texas. Paredes did his part in that series, though. If you remember, they didn't get hits from just about anybody, but he went three for eight with a double. Right. The Rays scored only one run total between the two games, lost, I think, what, four nothing in the opener and seven to one in the clincher um by the end of the year like that this race team just looked hopeless too many injuries and other happenings that depleted the roster Paredes shined all season though at age 24 turns 25 in in february um the weird thing with him is he's far from like a baseball savant darling you go to that page you see a lot of blue and you don't want blue on that page like a lot of mediocrity on his charts expected batting average and slugging exit velocity like none of it jumps out at you um a thing to consider though with, with that is how much he pulls the ball and right. puts the ball in the air when he pulls it like that's where his power comes from and it doesn't come through as much in, in baseball savants expected numbers they don't use directional um statistics in in their expected slugging expected batting average stats um and he, he gets a lot out of that approach like sending a lot of dingers out to left field all of his dingers actually go that way just look at his his spray chart on baseball savant it's it's kind of ridiculous um you know, it's not like he's whiffing a lot on, on pitches that are away, too. He's a really interesting player to analyze. Like, he has a low strikeout rate in general. He draws a good amount of walks. He's, like, more of a well-rounded hitter than that pole-dependent profile might suggest. You know, can we count on him being, like, a perennial 30-homer dude? Can he become a 40-homer dude? I, I don't know. He did have 20 in 2022, and that was a smaller sample size, 381 plate appearances compared to a jump in, to 571 plate appearances this past year. Um, the issue, though, like 
he kind of has to be a 30 homer guy for fantasy purposes because the other elements just aren't quite there. No speed. Um, he's never going to be like a, a batting average leader. So you need the homers. You need RBIs. You need runs scored. Um, it's why Paredes is in the 180 to 190 range in early ADP returns for 2024. There, there are a lot of hitters and, you know, a good amount of third basemen who can do exactly what he does and sometimes better. Um, so I like I'd be fine if I wound up with him as my primary starter at third in a standard league, but probably not someone that I would reach for. Um, did I argue with my myself there? I, I like my I think the power, like the pull side power is legit. I worry that if that falls off a bit, there's not much left though. If if pitchers kind of figure him, him out a little bit, um, he's someone that like all of a sudden you're just dropping. What what do you think happens with Paredes' value if he is traded? And I think you do have to keep that in mind with pretty much any Tampa Bay player, to be honest with you. There have been some smoke for some Yandy Diaz deals. There's even been a little bit for Randy Rosarina and stuff. But And I haven't heard anything specifically about Isak Paredes. It does seem like a thing that would make sense. It's stock up if he leaves Tampa Bay, stock down. What do you think? It would depend on the landing spot, right? Like, yeah, I'd like to see. Not that the the Red Sox like need a corner infielder, but thinking about him hitting bombs sure. over the the Green Monster, yep. and he plays with like a shorter left field porch. The Yankees, hey, they could use a guy like that, right? Absolutely. Um, if if he if he winds up in a landing spot where he can just feast and and be the guy that he's been, um, just yanking pitches to, like, like when he makes contact with those inside pitches, he gets around real fast. I I really like him as a hitter. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, it would be intriguing. It would it would depend on on where he lands. I, I kind of like the fit for him right now in in Tampa That's Bay. Right. They really like him too. Um, but I you're do. right. We always got to be like on on the alert that some some guy could get traded if if he's wearing Tampa Bay on his chest. No question about it. And look, it's worth pointing out too that this guy, he was a borderline like rising high top prospect type of guy who ends up getting traded to Detroit. It doesn't work out in Detroit whatsoever. Um, I still think there's a lot more left in him. I, I want to see him really young. More contact. He's still really young. Tampa Bay has done an excellent job with development of these type of guys. Um, definitely a guy to have on the radar for 2024. Uh, while Drew was talking about guys who play for good teams, I'm going to go with another one that played with a crappy team. Uh, but Lane Thomas, look, 2022 was a solid season for him. 241, 301, 404, nothing to write home about. But that's, in today's day and age, that's an OPS plus of 102 at 705. Still not used to that. But 2023 was a breakout season for this guy. 268, 315, 468. And most importantly in fantasy, 28 homers and 20 steals. Look, Lane Thomas, a, a former Cardinal prospect, uh, also a former uh, Toronto prospect. I don't know if you remember that. Traded for international cap back in like 2006, it seems like. Maybe probably not that long ago, but it does seem like it was an awful long time ago. If you take a look at the metrics, the, the thing that stands out here, of course, is the sprint speed. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. 29.3 is an excellent number that ranks in the 94th percentile. There are some good numbers here. His sweet spot percentage, which I love that they added this, by the way, to Savant. It's an excellent little statistic to yeah. take a look at. 36.8% of the time, that's well above average. He actually doesn't whiff all that much, but he does strike out quite a bit, which is weird because he's in the bottom 10th percentile in walks. Then Now, he did have 176 strikeouts. Those two stats really don't correlate very well. You would think, oh, well, he's striking out a lot because he's being really patient at the plate. No, not really. Apparently, he's just striking out looking an awful lot because his whiff percentage of 23, more than in line with being a strong hitter, uh, expected slugging percentage of 433 is above average, expected batting average of 254 is above average. Again, not used to it, but you know, hard hit percentage of 40.7. Expect him to hit at the top of the Nationals lineup. I do wonder, Lane Thomas is 28 years old. I do wonder if the Nationals may be looking at him and saying, if we can sell high on this guy, because I'm not sure that he's necessarily a long-term part of when Washington will actually be contributing. They certainly don't have to give him away or anything along those lines. But I do wonder if he'd be a trade candidate. Either way, just because of the power-speed combination, 
even knowing that he is going to strike out an awful lot and probably not hitting 268 again, probably looking more like that 230, 240 range, doesn't matter to me because I think you're going to get a 30-25 guy in 2024. Yeah, he, he could steal more bases. I, I would think he'd, he'd be more like a 25-35 guy, like with, with the, sure. the 35 being the steals or something. He yeah. could be more, more aggressive on the base pass. He's got to get on, on base and maybe a better clip. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really like the profile here. I don't really want him to get traded because I like that he's hitting at the top of the Nationals lineup. Like he hit leadoff a bunch last year, I think settled into the number two spot. They want to make CJ Abrams their leadoff hitter, it seems like. Um, but Thomas hitting first or second with with his power speed skill set is really intriguing for fantasy purposes. Um, and yeah, he's a former top prospect that just kind of you know, it took a while to blossom when he's been given the opportunity though. He's, he's usually played well. And yeah, just 2023 was his first year of arbitration eligibility. They, they have them under control through 2025. I wouldn't be surprised if they like listen to offers and, and maybe sure. they get blown away, but I don't think they'd be necessary. Cause you're right. He's probably not going to be part of the, the next good nationals team, um, but they don't have to like rush him out the door. No, maybe we hear his name more at like the trade deadline this year or going into next season. Um, but you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if they dealt him, but I, I doubt they're like heavily shopping him. They they really like what he brings to the top of the lineup and, you know, helping C.J. Abrams along, who should be part of the next good Nationals team. And, hey, they have a yeah. lot of intriguing outfield yeah. prospects on the way. I don't know how many of those we're going to see in 2024, but mm. there's something to look forward to if, if you are a Nationals fan. And I think Lane Thomas is a nice bridge player, and I kind of hope that he stays there just so that he's not getting buried in, in the batting order on a, on a better team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, my the, next guy. Yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> no, you go. Yeah. Uh, another outfielder <laughs> here, James Outman with the Dodgers. Um, and he had a huge showing at, at spring training, if you can remember back to that, to, to earn a starting job in Los Angeles right out of the gate. And there was a lot of buzz uh, with him after what he did in, in 2022 between AA Tulsa and AAA Oklahoma City. 978 OPS, 31 homers, 106 RBIs, 16 steals in 125 games across those two level of the uh, of those two levels of the upper minors. Then he had a huge March in April for the Dodgers, really into mid-May. He looked like a legitimate contender for National League Rookie of the Year before Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks fully ran away with it. I guess we could mention that, that Carroll was a breakout guy in 2023 as well, but you're probably not listening to this podcast for us to tell <laughs> you that Corbin Carroll's good. He's um, okay. Yeah. Outman like stumbled pretty badly. And as we like headed into the summer months, he had an extended drought at the plate between like mid-May and into early July. But it's encouraging to me that he picked it up again in the second half. The Dodgers you know, didn't give up on him, didn't demote him back to Oklahoma City. And his plate p discipline improved down the stretch, which was also really nice to see. Um, started playing more against lefties, which is encouraging that he's not going to be platooned, hopefully. Um, the splits were pretty drastic, lefty-righty. Only one of his 23 homers came off a southpaw, um, but he got on base at a good clip against lefties, actually better in the OBP department than he was versus righties, which is a positive sign moving forward. Um, I'm not sure where Outman's going to hit in the Dodgers lineup next year. It's hard to say what exactly that lineup will look like where we are here in November. Um, he mostly hit seventh or eighth in the second half of the 2023 season, but has a chance to move up, I think, you know, maybe into the fifth or sixth range, maybe get some looks higher than that from time to time um, but the blend of power and speed the resume that he's already building what he can do against righties a starting job and what should again be a terrific offense like the arrow is is pointing way up for outman and fantasy at age 26 um average draft position at 181 right now the upside with him at that draft day cost i'll be all about it if he stays in that yeah. range like you know he could be a 25 homer 20 steal you know, 25 steel kind of outfielder, maybe even 30 homer um, with the RBIs and the run score that, that should be built into his supporting cast there with the Dodgers. Hitting behind Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Max Muncy, Will Smith, and Shohei Otani. Maybe next year, you know, maybe they bring back J.D. Martinez. But, hey, they're they're considered the front runners for Otani right now. And I think Otani already had his team visit with the Dodgers. I think it was the first one he did. So that could happen. And out been hitting right behind those five. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, that's the thing about Outman is 
in that draft range, you're not talking about him being one of your top two outfielders. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the only thing I don't want. I don't want James Outman to be one of my top two outfielders. I, again, I think you can certainly ex, uh, see him finishing as a guy who is a top 24 outfielder. I just don't want to bet on it. Just, yeah. I saw enough last year, last year of from good to suggest that he can be that. I saw enough bad to suggest that maybe he isn't quite in that range just yet. Maybe more of that yeah. outfielder 35 to 40 type of range. I mean, he, but certainly, he was, yeah, he was bad for two months, like yeah. legitimately bad for two months, like unusable yeah. in fantasy. Right. Absolutely. And that's concerning. But, you know, rookie season, we see that type of stuff happen. Yeah. We also see sophomore slumps. We certainly saw, like, look, Julio Rodriguez ended up being a top 10 fantasy player but it is carried by a couple of months there. Like we see mm -hmm. this happen. We that see happens, young yeah. players struggle. Uh, speaking of Julio Rodriguez, kind of JP Crawford. Now JP Crawford, it was formerly the top prospect in baseball and he's been a regular now for, <laughs> it seems like a lot longer than it has, but uh, since 2019 playing in an everyday role for Seattle had easily his best season of uh, his career. Uh, best season of 2023 would be a funny thing to say. It was definitely in 2023, JP Crawford had his best 2023. Uh, 266, 380 on base percentage, buoyed a lot by the fact that he led baseball with 94 walks. I still think that's an amazing stat, Drew, as a guy yeah. who doesn't have elite power for him to walk, knowing that Julio Rodriguez is hitting behind him. That shows you what type of selectivity he has at the plate and how good he is at fouling off pitches and making pitchers work. Um, also saw more power from him. 19 homers is easily a career high from him. 65 RBI, also a career high. Just doesn't steal bases. Never has, never will. Um, biggest issue for me as a Mariner fan with J.P. Crawford is, is his defense is vastly overrated. He is ranged, his OAA ranked in the fifth percentile here. You know, he doesn't barrel the baseball a lot. He doesn't make a lot of hard contact. But I think he still is kind of an intriguing fantasy option that maybe doesn't get enough respect because he does get on base, 95th percentile in chase, 86th in whiff, 96th in the walk percentile, um, batting run value, he was in the 92nd percentile, according to Baseball Savant, that's at the great range. I don't think we talk enough about J.P. Crawford being a solid option. He can't be a guy who's like one of your top five fantasy options, but if you end up with J.P. Crawford as your starting shortstop to begin the year, I don't feel all that bad about it. I, I think if you are aggressive or especially I would love J.P. Crawford to be my middle infielder because he is going to hit at the top of that lineup. And I do yeah. think Seattle's lineup is going to be a lot better. So scoring runs on base percentage league, obviously he gets a big kick up. But even if you're just playing in a standard league, I think he is a guy who can help in three to four categories. It's it's a little bit situation dependent. Um, he he needs to hold on to that leadoff spot, but they love him in in, in the leadoff role, and and there's no indication to me that he's suddenly going to like lose OBP. He's just taking strides every year in that department. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I I like him. Like if I'm if I'm waiting and miss out on a top shortstop, um, or yeah, put him in like a middle infield spot. I'd I'd feel pretty comfortable with his ability to kind of fill up box scores, even though he he can't necessarily do it all himself. Um, right. He needs a little help from his teammates, but that's fine with the situation he's in. I'm um, hitting right in front of Julio Rodriguez. Another one for me is A's second baseman, Zach Geloff. Um, yep. This dude burst onto the scene in 2023 with an 840 OPS, 14 home runs, and 14 stolen bases across his first 69 major league games, 20, double, 20 doubles and a triple too. So, what is that? 35 extra base hits in 69 games. Like a, he hits an extra base hit every other game. Um, it was incredible stuff. Um, and he was a legitimately like league winning fantasy player from when he got called up, which was right after the all-star break um, to all the way into the, through the fantasy championship weeks of the season. And it was a continuation of, of what he was doing at triple a las vegas I, I guess that's now going to be major league las vegas but we don't have to go down that route on this sure show um but yeah he played in 69 games there at triple a prior to his promotion and had a 929 ops with 12 homers 20 steals 21 doubles 40 44 rbis 60 runs in those 69 games he just like he makes a ruckus um and you love that from a fantasy second baseman filling up box scores and Unlike J.P. Crawford, he's a guy that can can do it himself. Right. Um, just turned 24 years old last month. A second-round find for the A's in the 2021 draft out of, out of the University of Virginia. Delaware native, 
I think one of only like two Delaware natives active in, in Major League Baseball right now. Um, he can pretty much have any lineup spot that he wants next year. Um, he quickly settled into the number two spot this past season. That makes the most sense, I think, for his skill set and the other options the A's have, or rather the lack of options they have. He's going 134th overall in, in early ADP readings at NFBC. I think he might get in the top 10 or top 100 in some drafts once like fantasy analysis really heats up for the 2024 season and people look back to what he did. It may have flown under the radar because of everything that was going on with the A's and how they just weren't a very watchable team and that the big story was that they're probably moving. Um, and now they are officially are moving. But you know, that kind of offensive upside at second base, it's really attractive to me. I, I think he's – I'm going to have a lot of Zach Geloff shares next year, especially if, if he's only going, like, outside the top 130. Um, I should mention Brent Rooker, too, while well, mm-hmm. dogging the A's lineup. He was a late bloomer who hit 30 home runs at age 28, just turned 29. He could be an off-season trade candidate. There's already been, been rumors about that. Like the Rays, you have to – to consider that with any of these A's players. I wouldn't put Geloff out there, though. He could be like the face of the franchise when they move to Vegas. Um, but Rooker's interesting. Like, you know, maybe the A's do look to sell high, but that was a really nice story in 2023. Kind of came out of nowhere to do that. S. Jerry Ruiz as well, uh, 67 stolen bases in 2023. He's a tough guy to evaluate, though. Like, can he hit with enough consistency to maintain an everyday gig? Like he lost his hold on that for stretches yeah. last year. Um, on that team, he has like the best chance to actually maintain an everyday role. But I, I just worry that like, obviously he needs to play to give you stolen bases um, and the playing time could fall off next year. If, if he doesn't show more overall consistency offensively. I do wonder with Ruiz, how much his lack of playing time, had to do with the fact that when he becomes arbitration eligible, that the stolen bases would have been so incredible <laughs> that the payment day is even bigger. Like I, if he had gotten it, to 80. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, look, I mean, look, I, I they get no benefit of the doubt for me. They are such a garbage ownership group and such yep. awful human beings that it wouldn't shock me at all if they said, look, Ruiz wasn't playing great. But it made no sense to bench him. Like, what are you doing? Like, give yeah. him the chance to be on the field and to get better. But I like both those calls, especially Geloff, man. Uh, this was a guy who I thought was extremely underrated in fantasy formats. Like, was considered like a top 75 overall real-life prospect. But his power-speed combination, I think, is really underrated. Going to be really curious to see where he actually ends up going in real-life drafts. Not, all due respect to these November drafts and stuff like yeah. that. But when we're talking about the later drafts, it'll be really interesting. And real quick on uh, Brett Rooker, fantastic Twitter follow. Cannot recommend uh-huh. him enough. He's really interesting. Uh, did a really good breakdown of the sweeper slider thing. I would definitely recommend giving him a follow. I don't know if Jake Berger has a Twitter account, but I'm certainly intrigued by what he did in 2023, especially after he was traded to Miami. Now, look, this is a former top 11 draft pick. I'm, I'm just saying he was a high first rounder. A top 11 sounds weird. Out of Missouri State. Had a couple of really gruesome injuries. One while uh, rehabbing from another gruesome injury. In 2022, he was pretty good in 51 games. He had a OPS plus of 113 uh, with eight homers in 183 plate appearances. In his 88 games with the White Sox, 214, which is gross, but a 527 slugging percentage and 25 homers. And after he joined the Marlins, he was legitimately great, Drew. 303, 355, 505, nine homers, 28 RBI, uh, traded for Jake Eater. I think Jake Eater is a very intriguing long-term fantasy prospect in terms of a pitcher. But I think Jake Berger, I think the Marlins may end up winning this deal. Um the strikeouts are problematic. He and he swings at everything. Chase rate of 38.5. Wherever you throw the pitch, Jake Berger is going to swing at it and he's often going to miss it. He whiffed in 34.1% of his swings. But his average X velocity, barrel, hard hit, expected slugging percentage, all at least in the 89th percentile. And even with all that swing and miss, an expected batting average of 268, which tells you just how much hard contact this guy can make. The power, there's no question about that. The power profile probably plays better in Chicago than it did in Miami, to be completely honest with you. But still, the type of guy who I think could do monster numbers on the road as well. Wouldn't be shocked if Jake Berger's a 40 home run guy next year. 
you take some real risks with the fact that the batting average is probably going to be considerably low. I, the expected batting average is great. The expected batting average can only tell you so much when you're swicking and missing as often as he is. But there's no denying that this dude has a ton of offensive upside. And then I'll also close out with Matt McClain. Look, we talk a lot about Ellie De La Cruz. We talk a lot about uh, a bunch of guys. And I know you're going to close with the Cincinnati guy as well. Mm -hmm. Matt McClain was legitimately a well above average fantasy player in a very short amount of time. A first round pick out of UCLA. I think he's going to be a contributor in pretty much every category, Drew. Like, I don't think people are talking enough about Matt McClain as being a legitimate five-category type of player. His upside, like, I'm not taking him over Ellie De La Cruz, but I'm taking him over, I think, the rest of these Cincinnati guys. He would be the second Cincinnati player off the board for me, and that is a compliment rather than yeah. an insult to some of these guys. I think Matt McClain, like, if you're talking about a breakout fantasy superstar next year, he'd be the name on my list. Yeah, he looks legit, and it sounds like they're going to trade Jonathan India um, in case like there was any worry about how that, that playing time on the infield is going to shake out. There's there's strong buzz that India is going to be on the move. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll close with red center fielder TJ Friedel, who got an MVP vote. Um, yeah. And it, it was from Kevin Acey of the San Diego Union Tribune, who's a really good beat writer, and this wasn't like oh, yeah. a home cooking situation. He covers the Padres. No. It was just one tenth place vote, and you know those are usually just nods oh. to to what players did in 2003. Yeah, I, I think it. I think what Friedel did may have flown under the radar a bit with how the Reds, you know, faded out of the NL Central title race at the end, you know, post trade deadline when they did not address some obvious needs on the pitching side to, to make a run at a winnable division title. That would have been a nice opportunity to recapture some trust from the fan base, but um, I digress. Friedel mm -hmm. batted 279 with an 819 OPS, 18 home runs, 27 stolen bases, 66 RBIs, and 73 runs scored in 138 games. Uh, plays really good defense, too. He led the Reds. He led all Reds players in wins above replacement. 4.4 fan graphs war. Like that's pretty remarkable for mm -hmm. you know a now 28-year-old outfielder who was playing in his first full major league season, 27th among all MLB hitters in Fangraphs version of war, just behind Xander Bogarts and Gunnar Henderson, uh, just ahead of Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, is Friedel actually that good? Um he makes a lot of contact. He mm -hmm. Generally doesn't swing at bad pitches, but when he makes contact, it's it's pretty soft contact. Like some of the softest yeah. contact rates of any qualified big lead hitter. He's like a scrappy slap hitter, um, you know, that found his way to an 800 OPS. You don't really see that often. He was the best yeah. bunter in baseball in 2023. I think he had 17 bunt hits. Um, the most bunt hits in the stat cast era. Does, does that excite you? Um <laughs> I, I root for players like this that are kind of bucking the modern trends, but I, I also worry about him running into some serious regression. Like you can see the hustle in his profile. And I respect the hustle, but there's some luck involved to how he pushed his way into fantasy relevance. And I'm I'm not so sure he can carry that over into another full year. Uh, but we'll see. Like situationally, there's a lot to like. Friedel tends to hit leadoff against right-handers. Um, he was very productive this year against lefties. And with the speed and the approach and where he stands on his current team and you know, with Great American Ballpark helping out some of that soft, soft contact to become, you know, he can run into a couple homers at least. You know, you sure. can make him one of your outfielders in like a five outfielder league. I don't think I would trust him um, that much in a three outfielder league. It, it, like some other players that we talk about, he's he's a little bit teammate dependent, and I'm not sure there's enough like big bats yet around him to where I feel confident about the Reds like churning out a lot of runs with with some reliability. Friedel has a 155 ADP right now on NFBC, so I don't know. Some people out there are buying the sustainability of of what he does. I just I need to see see more of it i need to see it play out further um i'll be rooting for him but he's probably not someone i'm gonna target in drafts even though he's he's a really cool story that i don't think necessarily got enough attention last year to me that's a situation too where like the reason why you're overdrafting him in my humble estimation is you're talking about the stolen bases right like the 27 stolen bases 
there's just so many ways to find stolen bases. Exactly. Now, man. exactly. I don't think there's a reason to chase in that situation. I love Friedel. I think he's one of the most interesting stories um, from a guy that literally a lot of teams didn't know was draft eligible. So went undrafted, signed with the Cincinnati Reds as an undrafted player and has developed into a nice guy. Like he is a, a real life guy that you want on the roster for yep. sure. I have some questions about the fantasy upside as well, and I could see him being a guy who could be moved. It, it just wouldn't yeah. shock me at all for a team that uh, should be after in the starting pitching market if they preferred to go the starting pitching route. T.J. Friedel makes a sense as a move because of his contract situation. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Podcast of Rotowire. I don't know why the words came out that way, but they did. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, you can follow me on that website at Crawford underscore MILB. Drew is at Drew Silve. Uh, Drew, uh, Ryan and I will be back next week. Um, for those of you who do participate, a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, enjoy your holiday. Uh, root for Washington to beat Washington State. Root for Notre Dame to beat Stanford and eat a lot of good food. Have a great one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.